0: All right, welcome back. 3.34 here on Sports Radio 620 WDAE, 95.3 FM here from Super Bowl 51. And you never know who you're going to run into when you come out here. And uh, an old friend has uh, come by the booth, and that is Mike Florio from ProFootballTalk.com. Long time no see, Mike. Yeah, how are you, buddy? Great I'm to see you again. doing all right. Doing all right. Good. Uh, you're doing fine, obviously.
1: Life is good. Life is good. And uh... – I don't get to sleep much. I was going to say when when you have a six a.m. show Eastern, <laughs> and we move to different time zones. I'm just glad we're not West oh, Coast this that's year right. again. Five a.m. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh so, yeah. But it's good. I love doing radio. You know, I I I started just doing spots like this, and you learn how to communicate in this setting, speak in sound bites, and I guess through you know years of being very bad at it, to years of being not so bad at it, you eventually get to the point where it's like, hey, you know what, I can do this, and I really enjoy doing a show. It's, it's, it's not nearly as easy as it looks, and I think the talent is to make it seem easy because you have a lot of plates spinning. You have to worry about the clock. You have to worry about what your producers say, and you have to worry about mm-hmm. thinking of follow-up questions, what you're going to talk about if there isn't room for a follow-up, and the next thing you know,
0: your show's over and you're exhausted. <laughs> well, you you, you you and I were talking... When Dan asked you to fill in a couple times uh, with, with his show, right? That's how you really That's, got into it. Yeah, it was funny. Dan.
1: They they, they, said, uh, they called me up one time. It was in 2010. And they said that Dan was going to be out next week. Could I come on the show? And I said, sure. Who's the guest host? And they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't understand. You would be the guest host. It. It's like, no, no, no. You don't yeah. understand. I have absolutely no credentials, no qualifications, no skills. I don't know what I'm doing. And I remember the first time I did it. There was a hard out at the top of the hour. They have one hard out an hour. And I had no idea that that meant – I mean, I knew it meant you couldn't talk beyond that. I had no idea it meant you had to talk right up to right it. Right up to it, yeah. You know. So <laughs> I'm done. Segment's over. We're hitting this hard break with a minute to spare. <laughs> yeah, baby. And I hear the, the engineer say, you have to keep going. And I'm like, what? <laughs> uh Uh... Uh, It was great. And it was one of those moments that you never forget. (laughs) And that's when I learned that a hard out is not uh, flexible on the front end. It's
0: inflexible on both ends. That was like me. My first ever show was a Saturday morning golf show. And I wrote out what I wanted to say. And I said it. And I look up at the clock. And there's 57 minutes to go. I was like, what? What do I do now? (laughs) Well, and the first time that I was in studio hosting for
1: Dan, I sent his guy Paul Pabst an email with every segment 12 segments meticulously planned out of everything I was going to say not word for word but lengthy notes and I think you know he looked at me like really and then like by the time that I did it the last time three years ago it's just I'd send him one email with 12 words right instead of these lengthy and you just you learn that you can fill the vacuum easily. You just talk and you talk and you come up with something to talk about, and things will come to you on the fly. That's when it's fun. Yeah. When you're not thinking about the fact that somebody may actually be listening to it, and you're just talking, and you're talking about what comes up, and and you know, it's when you get into that that mode, it's 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 fun. And then you have to take a break, and you you fall off the horse, and your next. That's the thing. It's segment by segment. Like, wow, that was a really good segment. And it's like, well, that segment really stunk. And it's just, <laughs> it's twelve shows. That's what it is for yeah. a three hour show. It's twelve ten minute shows, and. Uh, you know, we we, it's it's I really well, do enjoy. You
0: it. You have parlayed it to something good. I, I I used to always tell Derek Brooks when I do a show with him for like the last fifteen years, when I have no notes on on the pad, then you made it. If I feel he's how many how many pages do you have? Because I don't know how you're going to talk. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to fill that time. But anyway, uh, Mike Florio is our guest uh, with us this afternoon. Uh, what are you hearing on the Vegas thing with Adelson, uh, Mike? That uh, seems to be the, the big talk because that's a lot of money for for the NFL.
1: And, you know, for several months now, back in November, I think, is when I first caught wind of the possibility that The Sheldon Adelson-Mark Davis deal would not work out, that Adelson was driving a very hard bargain on how they would split up the revenue generated by the stadium because how it works is $750 million in taxpayer money available from Las Vegas to build the stadium, but it's a $2 billion stadium, so you've got the Raiders and the league kicking in a large chunk, and you've got Adelson who was going to kick in the rest, and they were going to run it together, and great. But Adelson driving a hard bargain, and then the news came out Back in January, I think, when there was a league meeting on this issue of the finance and stadium committees got together, Art Rooney, the owner of the Steelers, said for the first time publicly that they're prepared to find somebody else in the event that Adelson can't negotiate a deal that is acceptable to the Raiders. And then news started to come out the Goldman Sachs is involved. So yesterday, to me, when I saw it, I thought, OK, this is we saw this coming. But now it seems like there's a greater sense of alarm than there should have been. And one, one source that has a very keen sense of these dynamics told me last night that it's one thing to replace Adelson's money with Goldman Sachs, but Goldman Sachs isn't a stadium construction and operation firm, mm-hmm. so you need somebody in Vegas or elsewhere who can build and run a stadium. So they're now part of this, so that complicates it even farther, and it won't shock me if what ultimately happens, whether this was intended or whether it's just happening organically, Steve, that... Las Vegas becomes the new Los Angeles, where anytime another team needs to significantly renovate or upgrade its stadium indefinitely, Las Vegas is going to be the or else. And as public money is harder and harder to come by for these stadiums, you will see owners have, and they'll go through this business assessment. Okay, I'm either going to pay for a stadium in a mid-sized market or a small market, or if I'm going to pay for a stadium, I'm going to... I'm going to build it in a bigger market. Or I'm going to go to a market where they've got $750 million that they're ready to contribute to the stadium. And the question becomes, how long will Las Vegas tolerate being the a leverage? Pawn. Yeah. yeah. Because on one hand, hey, we're a pawn. On the other hand, you know what? This is pretty good for us because they're constantly talking about Las Vegas. And there's this sense that we're inevitably going to have a stadium. And we kind of like that, that we're in these stories and we're getting a lot of free, it's free Las Vegas publicity. Yeah, so, free advertising. I, you know, yeah. It may be one of those situations where, you're ha- situations where you're happy to be used because you do get a benefit from it.
0: Why, if you're San Diego, would you pay $650 million to leave, to go to Los Angeles, instead of using that to build your own stadium or towards their old stadium? They don't, they don't want to do that? Because even with what they will be paying to relocate,
1: it wasn't enough to bridge the gap between what the stadium will cost and what the league and the team was willing and able to do. And without taxpayer money, you can't get there. Now, my understanding is at some point, Stan Kroenke, the owner of the Rams, would have written a check or a series of annual checks aimed at keeping the Los Angeles market to himself and actually contributing to the construction of a San Diego stadium to keep the Chargers from exercising their right to move. Oh, wow. But now that the Chargers are moving, that's it. The ship has sailed, and they're going to have to make it work, and they are partners, the Chargers and the Rams, on one hand, and they are mortal enemies on the other because they are in competition. Yeah. Because every dollar that gets devoted to a Rams ticket, jersey, hat, Whatever is one less dollar available to a Chargers ticket, jersey, hat, whatever, and and it's a weird conflict of interest for Stan Kroenke because he wants the Chargers to thrive because they're his tenant and his partner, but he also wants the Rams to thrive more. It's a weird situation. Yeah. And then if the Ra- the Raiders end up in Las Vegas, they could
0: be more popular than either team in Los Angeles. Oh, you know, that's true. Yeah, uh, and is the sense of competition among in inside the teams sharing that stadium is going to be big. I well, would think, and, right? And,
1: and you're right. I mean, you've got not just the Lakers and the Clippers in the same market. You've got the Lakers and the Clippers in the same building. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's great if you can get it filled, but it may not be easy to get it filled. And, you know, the Rams have had some some difficulty. The market's going to be very skeptical. The ratings are down in Los Angeles. And it makes sense because when there isn't a team assigned to L.A., you can get better games. When there is a Rams team in L.A., You got to play these Rams games for better or worse, and there was some bad Rams football on TV this year. And I'm sure people in Los
0: Angeles would have preferred to watch something else. Yeah, well, that's always been the way in LA. You know, Pro Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com. Do you ever see football? giving into gambling since we're talking Las Vegas?
1: Well, I think they're getting closer and closer to it. Now, there are different ways to give into it. They acknowledge it. I think going to Las Vegas is as close to giving into it as possible. I really do think that they need to be concerned about what it means to have a team in Las Vegas. The PR argument that the league will make is for basically every team in the NFL, there's a casino within relatively short driving distance. So your gambling is around if you want to gamble right that's fine it's one thing to get in your car and drive to a casino it's another thing to walk out of your condo and there's a casino here there's a casino here there's a casino here and the people you're interacting with work in casinos they're part of the gambling industry and there's so much room out there for inside information the injury report is so bare bones if you have access to a trainer to a player And you know what the game plan is going to be. You know who's truly injured, who's not injured. And there's a lot of inside information to be had. And you drop an NFL team into the middle of the hotbed of where it would be valuable to have inside information. You're going to have people who are being corrupted, and they're not even knowing they're being corrupted.
0: Well, they have that information to them available to them anyway. You know, but when are, you when you weave right, it see within the fabric saying. of yeah, Las Vegas, yeah.
1: when you put it right there, yeah, I just think it makes the... And if you, if you start having guys who are going to these casinos and they're losing money, or they're gambling, and they're losing money, and they owe people money, and it creates these these atmospheres where
0: where the, the worst one, case scenario could happen. The one thing I that, that's good about Las Vegas is you have to. Play cash. You don't get credit. You right. know, when you, you you have your neighborhood bookie. You're working on a monthly credit. You know, this way, uh, you don't work on monthly credit. Well, right. You don't but, get a ticket until you put the money. Up. Right,
1: but there may be a guy with gold chains and one eyebrow at the craps table that'll <laughs> give you a loan. Right, when you're out of cash, he's got some cash. We'll give you a stack of chips.
0: <laughs> well, you were instrumental, I believe, in the kickoff rule uh, changing uh, for extra points. Um, you see anything big come along? How was I you? instrumental in it? Well, you kept <laughs> you kept writing about it. Didn't you Didn't you start writing about the extra point being boring? No,
1: I wasn't. I don't think I wrote about that. No? That may have been Peter King. No, I was
0: I was oh, I in favor of the over. Then. No,
1: I was in favor. Yeah, I can get blamed for a lot of things, but not that. You can oh. blame me for the overtime rule changing.
0: Oh, okay. Because
1: I was a big proponent of giving each team a crack at the ball only in playoff games. I don't believe it's necessary for regular season games. I understand regular season games determine playoff positioning, et cetera. I just don't like the idea of playing 75 minutes. Like the Buccaneers had to do on a Sunday, and then turn around on a Thursday yeah. and have to play a game. I'd rather it be sudden death in the regular season, but I just don't think it's fair to have a season end based upon winning a toss, four first downs, field goal, and you walk off the field. But uh, but yeah, but I I've got some feelings about the
0: extra point rule, but I, I can't okay. claim credit for my it apologies it changed. Do you see some? What, do you see anything big coming around the corner? from a rules perspective. I
1: don't I don't know. I mean, look, what they need to do is they need to sit down and watch a bunch of games, TV broadcast copy, commercials and all, start to finish and identify spots where they can trim the fat. Whether it's the way they position commercials, when they take commercials, and also That ridiculous dog and pony show that is the replay review system where they send the guy over to the sideline. He talks to this guy, talks to that guy, put the headset on, gets under the hood, does his thing, comes out, talks to this guy, talks to that guy. There's got to be a more efficient way to do it. And I think what they really should do, on top of streamlining the replay review system, Steve, they need to care more about the gap between what the officials see during games and what the rest of us see on TV. Because we see what happened, and these officials don't. And they think they did, but they don't. And I've been a proponent now for a while of a replay official who – a video official would be the better Mm -hmm. term – who assists the crew in real time and has the buzzer to Ed Hockley and presses the button and says, pick up the flag, throw a flag, call it a fumble, call it a touchdown, do something, just like a conference would happen among officials on the field. You have a member of the crew, put them in black and white stripes, put them in the booth, but give them all the angles – and the ability in real time to
0: communicate with the referee were you privy to any information when when lynch got the job a little early i had no idea no i got I, a call was, from jay glazer
1: you? i got a, yeah, it did shock me i got a call from jay glazer and he's saying hey I got a big one i got a big one coming hey get ready get ready get ready what are you doing you got, i got i got a good one get ready and then by the time he called me back it was already out already was like, y- gee, thanks for the heads up jay
0: Schefter broke it, right?
1: Well, Schefter and Glazer both knew about it yeah. because Schefter had the hookup through the Shanahans, Glazer had the hookup through Lynch, and I think by the time Glazer got clearance from Lynch to go with it, Schefter got clearance from Shanahan to go with it.
0: Well, that combination is going to be tied at the hip for six years. Yeah, and maybe. <laughs> maybe. They're going to get paid for six yeah. years. Whether they work for it is exactly. a different issue.
1: I, I just – look – I understand John Lynch has been a success at everything he's done. That doesn't mean you're going to be a success at anything you try. Right. We all hit – well, we don't want to hit the limit of our ability, but there's always the chance that we're going to try that one thing just because this worked, that worked, this worked. We're going to try that one thing that doesn't work. With Lynch, I don't know how it's going to play out. I hope it turns out well for him. I think that – You know, it's different from Matt Millen because he's not running the show. Shanahan's going to run the show, and I think Lynch is going to be there to pull Shanahan and the front office together and have harmony and just have something different that isn't dysfunctional. We took a poll at PFT Live after the season ended, and we asked people who's the most dysfunctional franchise in the NFL. 20,000 votes, and the 49ers were the clear winner over the traditional usual suspects. And you Mm -hmm. think about that, how far the 49ers have come since having – three straight NFC Championship game performances, a, a Super Bowl appearance, and they got rid of Harbaugh, and it all fell apart. So they, they need to find a way to stabilize the organization. And the next time they have a great coach, they better, better figure out how to coexist with him. There are a lot of difficult personalities out there in coaching. Oh yeah, The Tony dungies are very few and far between. Most coaches are hard to get along with. And when you have a good one, you better figure out how to get along with him.
0: Joe, John Gruden's not one to get. that's not very friendly. I to, said good coaches. <laughs> Hi, John. How are you, John? Mike Florio, always a pleasure. Great man. seeing you, Thank Steve. you. Great All right, to buddy. see you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy.